Book Two, Chapter Two of Henrietta, Volume One, by Charlotte Lennox. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Two, wherein family pride awakens those natural affectations which family pride had suppressed. It was not long before I had this opportunity. She desired me one day to walk with her in the garden, having something to communicate to me greatly to my advantage, and, after a profound silence of about ten minutes, she looked archly at me and asked me if I could guess what she had been doing for me. Indeed I cannot, madam, replied I. Well, then, I will tell you, said she. Nothing less, I assure you, than providing you a husband. Indeed, said I, laughing and pray madam who is this intended husband come come said she gravely before i tell you who he is you must promise me to make no silly objections such as age not being a fine gentleman and the like the person i have in my eye for you is a sober staid man and blessed with means to support you handsomely without depending upon anybody that indeed is something replied i but who is this person madam i have a good mind said she to tantalize you a little by keeping you in suspense but in short the person i mean is honest mr jones although i expected some very absurd and impertinent proposal yet my imagination had never reached anything so ridiculous as this mr jones for i had had his history from himself some time before he had been taken by her father but of a parish school because he understood writing and accounts to keep his books for him upon his young mistress's marriage he was advanced to be a clerk in her husband's office and here having scraped up a little money he made some successful ventures in trade and had acquired about two thousand pounds after sir john's death my lady made him her steward with a salary of fifty pounds a year and he was in this honourable and lucrative post when she proposed him as a husband for me my surprise was succeeded by a strong inclination to laugh, which, indeed, I took no pains to suppress. And pray, madam, said I, has this grave personage expressed any good liking to me? I hope you are not jesting, said she. Why, did you expect me to be serious, replied I, upon such a proposal? Such a proposal, miss, repeated Lady Manning, colouring if my daughter was in your circumstances i should not be sorry such a proposal was made to her very likely madam returned i and it might be more proper than to mr courtney's daughter and the niece of the earl of blank this may look like vanity my dear miss woodby but i confess i was excessively shocked at her levelling me with her daughter when riches were out of the question for i was contented to allow her all the superiority she could derive from them lady manning made me a smarter answer and delivered with more calmness than i expected from her if the earl of blank said she behaved more like an uncle to you miss it would be often remembered that you are his niece but as it is i do not know whether it may not be an advantage to you to have it forgot for there are very few gentlemen of small fortunes who would choose an indigent woman of quality for a wife i hope however madam said i that none but a gentleman will presume to offer himself to me and i shall take care not to justify my uncle's neglect by encouraging any improper address 
"'You are very much in the right, miss,' said Lady Manning. "'One unfortunate marriage in a family is enough.' "'Tis well, madam,' replied I, bursting into tears. "'You mean my father's, no doubt, that it was not otherwise unfortunate than that it had not the sanction of my grandfather's consent. My mother's excellencies justified his choice, and she might have had a fortune too, though not equal to what he might have expected, if it had not been trusted in the hands of a villain, who broke to leave his own children fortunes, as many other villains have done. This last hint threw Lady Manning into some confusion, for it was suspected that her grandfather, who was a corn factor, had done the like, and whether it was that she was afraid of my speaking still plainer, or that she was really concerned for having given me such just reason to complain of her, she thought fit to beg my pardon for what was past, and assured me that whatever I might think of her, she was unalterably my friend. In my first emotions of resentment, I had resolved to write to Mr. Damer, and acquaint him with the treatment I had met with, which I knew would bring him immediately to my relief but I considered that my leaving Lady Manning in disgust might have disagreeable consequences, for she would not fail to represent everything in such a manner as to make me appear in the wrong, and the world seldom espouses the part of the oppressed, because they who oppress have that on their side which is sure to exculpate them. They are rich. Besides, the summer was now almost past, and she talks of going soon to London where I could take an opportunity of leaving her without any noise, and of putting myself immediately under my guardian's protection. But I was delivered from this disagreeable situation sooner than I expected, and by means which I had then no reason to hope for. Lady Manning was desirous of spending a few weeks at Bath before she returned to London. A lady happened to be there at that time, who I afterwards learned was my great-aunt by my father's side, and had followed the example of every branch of his family, in taking no notice of him after his marriage. This lady, Lady Manning, became acquainted with, and not knowing the relation in which she stood to me, she began one day to exclaim against the pride and folly of people in low circumstances, who expect to be considered on account of their birth, producing me as an instance, and relating how I had reused an honest man whom she had proposed to me for a husband, because he was not a gentleman, repeating my own words with a sneer, and therefore— not a proper match for mr courtney's daughter this being the first time she had named me lady meadows for it was her cried out in some astonishment what madam is that pretty young lady so she was pleased to say that i saw with you once in the rooms mr courtney's daughter lady manning answering in the affirmative good heaven said lady meadows and have i lived to hear one of my family spoken of with such contempt one of your family madam interrupted lady manning surprised yes said lady meadows one of my family who has done you too much honour to accept of an obligation from you how could you presume to propose your scoundrel steward for a husband to my niece but I will take her out of your hands immediately. You shall be paid for her board. My nephew's daughter shall not lie under an obligation to any upstart sit. It is not to be doubted that Lady Manning replied with great bitterness, but Lady Meadows, from whom I afterwards had these particulars, was in too much emotion to listen to her. She immediately quitted the walk, for they were on the parade 
and getting into her chariot told lady manning that she was going to her lodgings to fetch me away thus my dear miss woodby did i recover a relation a friend a benefactress in a woman who for many years had had no intercourse with my father and disclaimed him as the rest of his relations had done on account of his marriage she whose resentment could not be softened by time whose compassion could not be awakened by distress she who had silenced the soft pleadings of nature yet listened to the voice of pride and from a sense of the affront that had been offered her family in the husband proposed to me she did all that a better motive could have suggested her to do you may imagine i was greatly surprised when a servant informed me that lady meadows was at the door in her chariot and desired i would come to her i had often heard my father mention this aunt of his from whom before his marriage he had great expectations i went downstairs in much confusion of mind not knowing what this summons could mean yet presaging some good and as soon as i appeared lady meadows let down the glass and desired me to come into the chariot her footman instantly opening the door i got in and placed myself by her expecting when she would speak and anxiously longing for an explanation lady meadows gazed at me in silence during some moments then taking my hand my dear said she in a tender accent you are very like your father poor ned added she with some emotion he was not kindly used the tears streamed from my eyes at this mention of my father i observed lady meadows was greatly affected oh nature thought i why were thy tender feelings suppressed so long don't weep my dear said she i will be both father and mother to you had i been in another place i should have thrown myself at her feet to express my gratitude for this affectionate promise i could not speak at that moment i took her hand kissed it and wet it with my tears she kindly wiped my eyes with her own handkerchief then looking again in my face as if with pleasure you are like your mother too i suppose said she i never saw her but i have heard that she was very handsome this obliging manner of mentioning my mother which i so little expected from her quite subdued me my dear said she what is past cannot be helped you are my daughter now you shall be no longer obliged to lady manning that woman pursued she rising in her temper as she spoke has herself told me the insolence of her treatment of you she then gave me an account of what had passed upon the parade as i have already related to you lady manning thought to have injured me in your opinion said i and she has made me happy by awakening your tenderness for me i now forgive her for all her insults but i never will forgive her interrupted lady meadows as soon as we come to my lodgings you shall send for your clothes and never more enter her doors i was very unwilling to part with lady manning in this manner and pressed my aunt to allow me to go and take leave of her civilly but she positively refused and i found she could not endure the least contradiction which is indeed one of her foibles i therefore contented myself with writing to her and acquainted her with lady meadow's resolution in my favour i made the best apology i could for leaving her so suddenly and expressed some concern at the misunderstanding there was between lady meadows and her which made it impossible for me to wait on her politeness my dear is sometimes a great tax upon sincerity lady manning had certainly treated me ill and in strict justice 
I was not obliged to show any respect to a woman who had violated all the laws of hospitality with regard to me, but custom decides arbitrarily in these cases, and persons in a certain condition of life make a science of hating one another with all the good breeding and complacence imaginable. Lady Manning, according to this rule, returned a civil answer to my letter, wished me all happiness, and wherever she went, let loose all the asperity of her tongue against me. One calumny propagated by her hurt me more than the rest she confidently reported that. I had sacrificed my conscience to my interest, and upon my aunt's promising to settle her whole fortune upon me at her death, I had turned Roman Catholic, for Lady Meadows had been perverted to that religion by her husband, and like all proselytes, was extremely bigoted to her new principles. I thought it became me to discountenance this report as much as possible. Therefore I was more regular than ever in my attendance at church, and although my aunt, after we came to London, would often have engaged me to go to mass with her, intending no doubt to work me to her purpose by degrees, yet I constantly and steadily refused to gratify her in this particular, though every other I studied to oblige her as much as possible. She would often engage me in arguments upon the subject of religion, which I generally strove to evade, and when I found that would not do, I defended myself with great courage, and with so much success, that she would tell me with an air half smiling, half angry, I was too hard for her, and that she would consign me over to her chaplain. The chaplain, whose name is Danvers, is a priest of the order of the Jesuits. He had been recommended to Lady Meadows by her late husband, whose memory she adored, and this powerful interest, joined to the Jesuits' insinuating manners, acquired him so great credit with Lady Meadows, that she governed herself wholly by his advice, and that the great work of her salvation might be perfected, and her every word and action be under his direction, he lived in the house with her, where he ruled in a most arbitrary manner. His absolute empire over the conscience of my lady, rendering his dominion over all that had any dependence on her as uncontrolled as he could desire here henrietta stopped observing her friend to look at her watch which produced an exclamation that the reader will find in the following chapter End of book two chapter two